What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dapper Villains Podcast. I'm Dana Bluin, and as always, joined by my co-host, Jay Such Dave. Jay, what's going on, brother? Hey, brother. Very good, man. How you doing? Not too bad. Not too bad at all. We got an exciting guest today. We're stepping out of Definitely. the actual world of cloth and fabric and menswear, and we're jumping into the accessories head-on. We're with Mike French from Red Rabbit Trading Co. Mike, thank you for taking the time, man. Oh, thanks for having me, for sure. So tell us, tell us, tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and Red Rabbit Trading Co. Well, make a really long story short, you know, it's kind of one of those, I was never good in high school, pretty much just wanted to get through it kind of thing. Uh, I had a couple businesses and in getting out of, uh, or I guess retiring from my last business, I kind of didn't really have anything to do. So I took a year off and, and I taught myself how to make soap and make knives and make jewelry. And jewelry was kind of the thing that stuck. Um, kind of just started researching, you know, old imagery online and going to flea markets and picking up old jewelry and just kind of trying to figure out how it was made. Um, so I started selling old jewelry for a while and repairing old jewelry. And, you know, as a lot of people know, like a vintage based business is, is a pain in the ass as far as like inventory control and stuff. So, um, and being able to control price points and such. So, essentially just started making the stuff and kind of just snowballed from there was not supposed to be anything other than just a hobby so why why is it hard to control the inventory um i mean i think any vintage based business whether it's clothes or furniture or anything you know if if the market drives the price of a certain item up like you just cut your margins down you know um or if there's nothing of x you know denim or x fabric out there you're kind of stuck you know like you're you're at the will of what's out there um but if you're making a product and designing a product and you control everything from design to manufacturing or production you can control the price point and you know inventory and everything um so i think it just it frees up a lot of facets of a business so it's not something that you're always interested in necessarily. It's something that you just sort of transitioned into as a, a way to look for something else to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, I'm kind of just one of those like go with the flow, go with your gut kind of thing. And, you know, most I think a lot of people, their their experience with jewelry, especially men wearing jewelry, is very like gaudy, Jim Morrison, over the top, you know, 60s style. And I never liked any of that until I started researching the stuff that was earlier and made in the States. And I just saw completely different imagery. And, you know, like double RL has that stuff on lock, you know. Um, but I still think that accessories, it's it's really gotta be, you know, accessorized and styled properly. Um, you know, just as the same as a jacket or a cut. You know, if, if someone can't wear it, they can't wear it, you know, so. Yeah. I see, like, um, you do, uh, like, the the 
jewelry that you make is uh, usually for bikers and um, I don't want to say hippies, but <laughs> no, for sure. I mean, it's 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 kind of one of those things, though. You know, like we get that a lot. We were just on Savile Row and uh, four bikes pulled up, and we were doing a pop up there, and I was like. I, I know those guys are for me, you know, like, cause everyone else is in like suits and uh, jackets and I'm just like, uh, you know, y'all can just leave cause uh, these, these guys are going to be my customers, you know? Um, but what I think is interesting is, you know, it's very much just how you wear it. You know, it's, it's the same thing as a hat. Like you can wear a classic fedora with a ripped up t-shirt and look just as cool as a cat in a three piece. And I think that a lot of accessories are the same, whether it's a watch chain or, you know, a money clip or anything like that, you know. Um, I, I don't like the idea that clothing, like you you have to be a suit guy or you have to be a denim guy, you know. It's like they're accessories, like just try them out. Like, I wonder, like, how did that bridge together, like, for... For guys like Scorsese and like, you know, how did uh, the luxury, um, the, the suits, for example, how did the mm -hmm. suit bridge in with the uh, this uh, uh, jewelry that you guys do? I mean, I think for me and I mean, I haven't been around menswear a ton, but I think I think a good way to kind of explain it is that like, you know, those cats have to wear a shirt and tie like all week. So then they get the opportunity to go to some place like Bryce Lands or like a double RL type store. And they're like, I just want the illest stuff for the weekend. And then, you know, in, when they're in there getting their Henley and their, you know, uh, denim chore coat and stuff like that, then they're exposed to accessories. And then they're like, well, I can wear this stuff on the weekend. And then once they got comfortable wearing that stuff, then you start to see a lot of stuff that gets mishmashed up. Whether it's a military jacket with, you know, flat front trousers or someone wearing six bracelets with a suit, you know, it's kind of just people being comfortable in their skin and trying out different things. You know, like Jay said, there's sort of a, a real biker feel or like a hippie kind of, especially with the turquoise and the silver mm -hmm. that I see in your collection. You know, like especially coming from the States, you kind of think of that as sort of like that New Mexico, Colorado type of uh, vibe but yeah yeah then, like you can definitely yeah, yeah. tell the design that you're you're diving into has sort of a refined edge to it like i could see one of your bracelets or one of your rings being worn with a suit and kind of getting and fitting in there pretty well just because the design aspects that you're doing you know sort of step away from a lot of the the sort of preconceived notions of what those metals and those stones would necessarily fit into yeah definitely i mean i think it's one of those things like the simplest item it's hard to hide imperfections and flaws um in, in any design whether, whether it's furniture or pottery or clothing um i mean you can see the companies that lend on or like lean on crazy stitch patterns or anything like that and i mean jewelry is the same thing if, if you have a flat piece that's right there like it has to be super straight. It has to be super clean. It has to be, you know, dialed in or else the eye is going to find those imperfections. So I think that's why, like, if something's made right, no matter what it is, it's going to pair with other things that are made right of high quality also, um, whether they're different styles or genres or time periods. 
Yeah, I see like just take, some of the stuff. Like, was this a copper soap dish? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, we, we're trying to branch out more into not, not just jewelry, you know, because I don't want people to be like, oh, that's a jewelry brand. Uh, so we're trying to work more on home goods and more kind of like round out the aesthetic of the brand in general. That's really cool. So so the, you make the soap as well? That soap we didn't. We had a local person make. Okay. Yeah, That's I love cool. I love the use of copper and stuff. I mean, I I don't think copper. Do you use copper for jewelry, or are you just using it for like uh, additional th pieces? I don't use it for copper right now. I I don't use it for jewelry right now. I think it's a super misunderstood metal, honestly. Um, I personally really like it. I like it more than any other metal. Um, the finishes and the aesthetic of it, just the tarnish it takes. I think uh, you know they definitely tend to lean towards that more masculine aesthetic of it um but right now we haven't really forced it into jewelry so much i mean we're still a pretty new brand too so can you do can you use copper as a jewelry metal does it work or does it react with like the chemicals in the skin no i mean it'll it'll react definitely but i mean it's it's anything is kind of like just being cognitive of how you wear it and, you know, keeping an eye on the metal and stuff like that. There's tons of early jewelry that's made out of copper and brass, you know, um, you know, and it depends on the application and, and even the area that you're wearing it, you know, where you guys are, the stuff is going to tarnish and turn green a lot faster than where I'm at. So mm -hmm. I've seen some old uh, brass watches where mm -hmm. the, uh, they pitted over time. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, it definitely it depends on the humidity in the air primarily is what's going to depend on the finish and the pitting. So a lot different wearing it in, uh, in Albuquerque versus, like, say, Bangkok. Oh, for sure. I mean, the humidity in the air is definitely going to change anything. Now, I know you said that you you'd started looking at the more vintage, you know, jewelry, you know, repair and like that sort of where you started the journey here like you mm -hmm. got out of that you're not doing vintage anymore you're making your own stuff but is a lot of your inspiration from that vintage era yeah definitely i mean my my whole thing is i couldn't find vintage in my size or in my price point so i essentially thought like well i'll make it and accidentally i think i filled a hole in the market but i just wanted to make stuff that when people saw it they thought it was 100 years old so that's why we don't do any overt branding or anything like that. It's like, I want people to see it and think it's 100, 150 years old, but that they can actually order something in their size or get their initials on the back. Um, or if they smash it up or break it on vacation, they can just send me an email and get another one made. And I think that lightens the responsibility of the piece. Uh, I mean, we all have vintage pieces and, you know, it's like, you're always stressing on that seam ripping or anything like that, you know, but with my stuff, I tell people like, beat it up, break the shit out of it, you know, hit me up if the stone falls out and we'll put another one in it. You know, I, I think it just kind of takes the the heaviness off of spending the money on, on, you know, $1,500 piece. If you're not sure if you're going to rock jewelry. Yeah. Now, are you, you hand making every piece yourself? Every piece. One by one piece that someone buys from Red Rabbit has gone through your hands. Oh, yeah, yes, definitely. I know it's not the best business model, but it is what it is, you know.
You know what I mean? Like my, a- my business model at Supervillain Haberdashery is the exact same thing, though. Every piece that I sell, I've made. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I've touched with my hands is going out the door. And that that's what I like about like the idea of a small business like that is that you're you have a connection as the craftsman, as the maker to every single piece. For sure. And I think the customer appreciates that. Yeah. And if they don't, you know, if, if somebody wants something cheaper, like I'll tell them like, hey, I think this person can help you out or, uh, you know, I think that it's just we're not the best matching, you know, and 99% of the time the clients will say, no, 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 I came to you for a reason, you know, just do your thing. Um, but if someone gets like too heavy on the design, I'm just like, it, it seems like you got a really clear vision. It's not what I'm into. So, you know, good luck. It, it is what it is. And I think any more businesses need to worry more about auth- authenticity than the bottom line. Yeah. You know, we have this little segment where we ask the guests what's their most uh, important um, item, sartorial item. And uh, I think this is our fifth episode and all four of them or at least three out of four said that it's the signet ring. Yeah. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So I just wanted to ask you about like, you know, what's uh, what's the what's what's the speciality about this this particular ring? Because I find this really, really interesting. I mean, I think the signet ring harkens all the way back to Grecian times. Um, there's a company in L.A. that's making pretty traditional uh, Grecian and Roman signet rings. So I think it's just kind of one of those things. It's almost like in your DNA, uh, especially being a male, wanting to leave your mark on the world with, you know, a signet ring having be your coat of arms or your initials. I think it's just kind of one of those things that's ingrained. And it's also the one piece of jewelry or accessory that the, the quote unquote world has told men it's okay to wear too. Yeah. So... I think like that's what, one of the, the difference like a lot of these, these two stones. So the the black and white one is called white buffalo. It's essentially turquoise before it oxidizes, before the white part would change into blue or green. And the other piece is called blue moon turquoise. And they're just from different regions of the States. They were pulled out of the ground at different times. So, I mean, essentially they're the same thing, but completely different at the same point, you know? We have and that, it's just, uh, t-shirt sold all, yeah, in Thailand a lot. It says same, same, but different at the back. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> so and and uh, so they use a lot of Native American uh, signs for the the rings, right? So like, what is this one? So initially, what I'm trying to do is there was a time period right when the American Southwest opened up in the late 20s, early 30s, all the way through the 50s with Route 66. So this is era jewelry called Fred Harvey era. Make a long story short, he was this entrepreneur that was way ahead of his time. He started opening restaurants and hotels all on the train line. And what he saw, he was like, well, I'm going to carry knickknacks and souvenirs and stuff. So he started doing this type of jewelry that's known as Fred Harvey style jewelry, which is just more polished, graphic, native imagery. So an image of a crossed arrows or a Thunderbird that might be on Fred Harvey jewelry that essentially is sold for tourists, you know, especially like rich white tourists from the East Coast is not what the natives would trade within themselves because to them it would just be hokey. So for me, it's just kind of one of those time periods that, you know, is very Americana, you know, it's, it's 
if everyone thinks Route 66, they all have that imagery in their head. And this is something that definitely goes along with it. And it's palatable to people all over the world because people understand that story. I like, too, that it harkens back to, like you said, the Route 66, which for a long time was kind of decommissioned, right? A, a lot of it. And now I think mm-hmm. like the whole idea of the mother road and traveling over the last few years, I've seen quite a bit of sort of things pop up about that. So that, and also like uh, anyone who, I, I think Americans have this, this love affair with like the great American road trip, right. And exploration Definitely. and this feeling of like vastness that we have in America mm-hmm. and all that imagery that you just talked about sort of, rekindles those feelings oh definitely i mean wait we grew up we were in middle america so you had to go hours to get anywhere yeah. uh last time i was in london i was talking to my buddies about a road trip and i don't consider a road trip you know anything under eight hours hmm. and to them like they couldn't even process it they didn't want to be in the car for an hour so just it's you know they still understand it and i think a lot of people are still especially foreigners are in love with that 1950s americana you know the big thin cars and all of that um but they they yeah diners and uh but they they've never been in in that or you know on a road trip and to us it's just it's second nature you know like if if you live in iowa or ohio or the middle of nowhere you gotta drive it is what it is like I grew up in Rhode Island, which is the smallest state in the U.S., and mm-hmm. 45 minutes tip to tip. So for me, anything under an hour is not even close to a road trip, right? Like definitely. Like you, you gotta hit the open road. I'm it, until I get out of Connecticut, I don't even consider that a road trip because New yeah, yeah. So small. And then I've lived in Kansas and Ohio and Wisconsin, California, where you know you're driving. Oh, you have to, yeah. I mean, it's the States is a driving culture. It is what it is. You know, it's like, you know, you get your bicycle when you're young and that's your taste of freedom. But if you're out in middle America in a thousand person town, when you get your license, oh man, the world opens up, you know? Yeah. Yeah, And I think, you know, it's funny because being from living in the Midwest right before I moved to Thailand, I don't even own a car now. I, I go by train or I take a bus everywhere, which I love. But, you know, there and I would never want to take a road trip in Thailand just because the roads are so crazy and dangerous here. I'm surprised Jay is still alive, actually. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's in America. It is a different feeling about the road trip. And and there's something to it that that harkens back to that era that you're talking about. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's freedom, too. You know, our state's so our our country's so big. You can drive hours and be in a completely different world, you know, and I think we're lucky in that, you know. Or for anyone who's been to the plain states, you can also drive hours and not see anything but corn. <laughs> nothing, nothing. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, Jay, you've been to, you actually took a road trip in the U.S., right, in Texas? Yeah, for yeah, from uh, different parts, like from uh, Dallas to san antonio and uh yeah everything is really bigger when they say everything is bigger in texas everything is really bigger. Uh, yeah. like, it's insane road, uh, like, right? like the, the feeling on the open road yeah, in, yeah. especially in texas is like have you driven like up country here jay or you just stick around bangkok in thailand yeah in thailand in thailand actually surprisingly the the roads you know outside of bangkok 
they're better than the roads in Bangkok. But it's stressful driving even up country, right? Like you drive up to even like uh, Chiang Mai and it's like super stressful. Yeah. I know people who like are video calling with me while driving in the States because they're like, yo, it's like eight lane Tierra. We don't care. Yeah. yeah. Watching a movie, doing laundry at the same time. <laughs> I, got a fr- I, I won't say my friend's name, but uh, he, he's a trucker, and essentially they're trucks on autopilot. So like he'll be driving down the highway, and he'll video call me from his phone, which is mounted on his windshield. And then he'll get up and walk into the, the sleeper of his truck and get something, and come back and start driving. That's crazy. Yeah. Can can, it, can you pull this picture up a little bit, Dana? Oh, the screen. So got, oh, look at that. So, right. Like, this is so cool. So, it's all turquoise, and then the color changes after a while, or, or like, yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's different mines, you know, just like how different diamond mines will produce different flecks, you know, and, and every material, it'll, it'll just produce different colors. You know, it's different minerals in the ground, or different water sources are just going to produce different colors. Um, so that's what's curious. Everyone thinks turquoise. They think that really pale, clean blue. Um, and me personally, I, I want it to look like a rock. Like I want it to have some personality. So we tend to get the dirtier stones or the ones that have browns or blacks in them and stuff like that. Um, it just It's just from a different part of the States. Mm. How precious is turquoise? Oh, I mean, turquoise, it, it can go from pennies on the gram all the way up to thousands of dollars per carat um when we very first started uh they weren't selling it by carat because it wasn't worth it um so now it's it's graded just like gems there's gem quality turquoise you know uh obviously that's out of our budget but it's kind of in that like a jade family i guess like the way jade can be super cheap or crazy expensive yeah i mean it's it's just like anything you know like sometimes you can find this stuff out laying on the ground but you know you you could find pieces that are hundreds of thousands of dollars too you know it's like there's an ass for every saddle kind of thing yeah so what there's i see one ass on for every on saddle right of this i see one on the right of this image that's super green mm-hmm. yeah that's still turquoise mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just a different different spot. Um, and we tend to use more greens because it it kind of plays into the vintage style because a lot of turquoise, it's a really soft stone. Mm-hmm. So over years and years and years of wearing it, it's going to soak up body oils and hairspray and water and all this stuff. So it just saturates the stone. So it's kind of a way to trick in people into thinking that it's a real old piece. Um, cause a, a real old piece is rarely going to have a bright blue stone in it just because it's a hundred years old. Mm. And that almost looks like Jade, that dark green one. Yeah, definitely. That's one of my favorite stones. That's super saturated green. Now, and this, all this metal is sterling that we're looking at. Yeah. All of it's sterling. And is that a natural patina or that's a patina that you put on? No, I mean, it's over, you know, over years and years, it would end up looking like that. But essentially, since we're trying to get stuff to look vintage, uh, you know, it's a it's a fake patina. Now, what, what is the what's the maintenance like? Because a lot of people talk about stainless is like a high maintenance. Oh, just no, nah, just wear, wear the shit out of it. Yeah. Because that's it. So. Polished, like super. No, yeah, I think that's the thing, you know, like I. I I don't know. I sometimes when I, especially when I get new jewelry or even just new clothing, sometimes I'm like nervous to wear it or 
or beat it up or you know if i come home and the dogs jump on it so that's why it's like i have people send jewelry back you know to get fixed or get a stone put in on on it and it looks better than when i sent it out because now it's actually got some wear and tear as opposed to faking the wear and tear mm. so sterling's like fairly soft right yeah it's a pretty soft metal but you know it, it depends on the density the thickness of it and your lifestyle too but you know it's that's kind of one of those things it's it's made to be worn like beat the hell out of it so so um like we have this segment on the show that we do with all our guests where we we ask them 10 questions and it sort of builds a little conversation around this sort of uh these kind of fun tutorial ideas and so Mm -hmm. we want to run through this with you um you know just have fun with it there's no no pressure no pressure (laughs) Um, but first question that we always ask someone, you can only use one fabric for the rest of your life. Denim. It's going to be linen, wool, or cotton. And why? Oh, it's going to be on the three? Yeah, linen, wool, or cotton. Oh, which, whichever is going to be. Yeah. You, you yeah. said denim uh, before we even asked the question. So, yeah. so I guess uh, well, denim does categorize in the cotton category. Like, yeah, I mean, I, I figured it rarely it kind of slides in there. So. So what I mean, cotton guy. I I mean, just a lot of the. It's you know it's more utilitarian. Uh, I mean I like I I I go and work on Savile Row and get all dressed up and all this stuff, but it's not what I wear on a daily basis. So if I'm in the garage and I'm working with hot metal and torches and you know, or if it's thirty degrees outside, I'm not going to be wearing a linen jacket. You know, Uh, it's chore coat hooded sweatshirt underneath of it you know it's stuff like that so i think that in a lot of menswear like people forget that the clothes are meant as a tool you know so that's you wearing all denim right all denim (laughs) we'll get to that question we've got a question about that (laughs) now next question up is uh what's your favorite menswear item so think about like menswear from like a a dress perspective right and it could be jeans it could be a hoodie it could be a three-piece suit oh man what's your favorite item from menswear Uh, i think it's just like a classic 40s 50s wider brim fedora okay nice um, I mean, I think it's another one of those things that's utilitarian, but you can rock that with a T-shirt or you can rock it with a suit or a leather jacket. Um, you know, it's going to keep your head warm. It's going to keep rain off your head, too. You know, um, I mean, a lot of these answers might be a little bit more utilitarian as opposed to fancy, but that, that's fine. That's actually much more in my realm of, of style as well. I wear I wear suspenders because I don't like wearing pants. I I don't like wearing a, a <laughs> belt. belt not Belts, pants. yeah, yeah. Um, we don't so, have to know that you're not wearing pants right now. <laughs> These are hooked up to my underwear, yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, but at the same token, like I, I work in my studio every day. I, I throw on a denim vest that holds my scissors, mm-hmm. you know, and I can get dirty. I put it over my clothes. So I'm very much in that utilitarian sort of realm as well. Mm-hmm. That's a, I uh, I we travel a ton. I always wear a chore coat. It's like passport, money, cell phone, tra- like all that stuff is right there. And my buddy's a little bit more like fancy, so I was trying to tell him. I was like, dude, just get a cheap chore coat just for travel. Even you got everything right there. Boom, boom, boom. And he just was not having it, you know. So it's whatever floats your boat. But I mean, that's just like yeah. function over fashion. 
and you can have both you can have very functional oh for sure for sure now the next question this is always one of my favorites is it ever okay for a guy to wear denim on denim on denim on denim you know i.e the canadian tuxedo I mean, I, I think it's very much not what you wear so much as how you wear it. Yeah. Uh, I had a buddy that that was his jam. Like it, it was a denim Western button up with denim, you know, crispy denim pants. And that was his get up all the time. Like maybe you'd see him in a Henley every once in a while. But, you know, that dude, that was his uniform. And it is what it is. But then you'll hop on Instagram and you'll see someone else trying to try it. And you can tell that they've never blown out the knees of their jeans ever. And you're just like, it just don't work, you know? So. Yeah, it is very much how you wear it. I think that that's a sentiment we get from a lot of people. We had one of the most uh, dapper people we've ever talked to admit to wearing a black on black denim many times, you know, which we, I I think neither Jay nor I expected that, that response. (laughs) so next up you know we talk about tailoring you work on savile row occasionally you know you go down there you do pop-ups you know Mm -hmm. people are are really getting into what you do and when you look at tailoring in menswear a lot of people like put the conversation up between like a british and italian tailoring Mm -hmm. you know but there's there's a very unique american style there's other styles around the world what's your favorite type of tailoring english it's it's always english um i've never been to into the italian aesthetic uh i i remember when i was like in junior high wanting to get gqs and you know this is when everyone was wearing like wide pinstripes and super crazy tight tapered you know double-breasted jackets and you know plaid purple with plaid pink socks and stuff like that and you know being from middle america i'd never seen anything like that it's like this dude looks so cool so i think maybe it's just like still in love with that um but i i don't know that's just it's always that like that image if someone says suit to me that's what i think of you know so that, that structured heavy yeah just like rigid like even like kind of like military kind of vibe you know some of those tailors just that that thing fits you know you might not be able to move but it fits (laughs) i'll tell you what i'm not i'm not into like the full canvas suit i I like very much on structured but you can't argue with the look i mean it just looks i think that's the thing yeah yeah for sure yeah i mean a well a well-made Savile Row suit is not actually that heavy as it looks on the outside. Like I've seen a Benson and Clegg suit and it feels, I mean, it has more layers in it, but it it does feel very light and it gives you that form rather than that, you know, casual look, which uh, the Italians would give. But I mean, that's, that's very cool to hear. Yeah. It's interesting, especially with your aesthetic of uh, form over function, right. To hear that you yeah. love that. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's where it slips a little bit, you know, but I think it's also it's kind of that image that I have in my head, you know, of of all of that stuff kind of like being in the press when I was like coming of age, I guess, and actually getting to dress myself. Um, and I mean, I remember, you know, going to Goodwills and and looking for suits that I could have taken in and stuff like that, you know, like looking for like the heaviest wool suit with like a big pinstripe to see if I could get it taken in and, you know, a high three button and all that ridiculousness. So yeah. I actually I've never seen your uh, photo of you in a suit yet. Do you uh, ever? 
I know. I mean, every time I travel, I, I, I travel for fun or uh, I always worry about the weathers and I always take a check bag. So it's like whatever can fit in that check bag. So, you know, not too many suits going in the check bag. No, no. And I travel light. So now next one, this will be interesting because you're in this space, but what's your favorite accessory? I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I think that, you know, function, a money clip is is a good one. You know, it's especially a, a good piece for people starting to get into accessories and starting to get into quote unquote jewelry. Um, and I've seen, you know, especially Ethan from Bryceland style money clips, not as a money clip, you know, as like sitting in his pocket or like, uh, you know, it in a button up and stuff like that you know uh it's just I, I think anytime especially as a consumer quote unquote if you can buy something and it has a function that's a plus and then if it has a function over what its original function is it just adds value to the item and your you know justification of purchasing the item also um and so whether like, you're out, out in of your garage or at the store you can use a money clip you know so uh, out of these three, which one you find coolest? My favorite's that slimy green one. So nice, slimy green. Is that what you called it? Yeah. yeah. All right. Absolutely. Because uh, hearing hearing how you're talking, how you were explaining, what I wanted a money clip now. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so well, I I, I know still a guy. So. <laughs> All right. So the next one's kind of an interesting one because, you know, staying in the accessory realm, but, but bringing it more into that sort of sartorial niche, how on point do you think a men's watch game should be? Oh, I mean, it seems like there's like two camps on that, you know, especially with the large face or the sport or the dress and all that stuff. I think it just goes back to just wear it if you like it, you know, I've, I've, seen some cats wear like a small dress with you know like top siders and stuff like that and it's like that shouldn't make sense but it looks so cool you know mm. uh, i think that everyone's so worried about like what so and so is going to say if they post this photo of them wearing this and wearing that it's like who cares like you like it wear it you know maybe you feel like a clown in six months when you look at that photo but whatever so i i don't know most of my watches are I'd say like medium face, 32 mil, um, mostly just because I don't want to deal with vintage stuff. But um, I mean, I, I just think so long as you got one sport watch and one dress watch, that's probably all you need. So, yeah. I have a hard time wearing anything other than my Apple watch. <laughs> oh, for sure. I love my Apple watch for travel. It's the greatest thing ever. So. I just also I like the fact that it tracks everything about me, tells me where my appointments are. You know, it, oh for sure. You know, for for me, no. that's just like, oh okay. It's, I know what my heart rate is right now because I just drank <laughs> a huge coffee. I know how many steps I've taken. What, yeah, it's like a what personal assistant. Is you know nothing I don't know because of that watch. For sure. <laughs> you know, so you know, I think you're right though. There are there are people who take it very seriously like some people have hundreds of watches too serious i mean it's clothes it's clothes it's watches like mm. if you're into it if you're happy with it who cares 
I think, Jay, I, I usually see you wearing your Apple Watch, but you have a couple others that you rotate in, right? Yeah, I mean, I Apple Watch, I used to be, like, I have all the Apple Watch since the start. And, like, that was the thing I was waiting for. And then when it came, I was like, oh, my God, Apple did it. But then um, kind of like music, like when you have Spotify, you have everything on, you kind of go back to vinyl and you're like, oh, my God, I have to listen to this album. So Vintage Watch for me was like that, too. Like, oh, it's so stupid. It doesn't tell me anything, but it's still so adorable. It's so charming. Uh, you know, it has so much story to that Vintage Watch and stuff. So for me, it was the other way around. I started with tech and then I went back. Well, and I think also it's the simplicity and the aesthetic. Yeah. Hmm. Battery doesn't run out. I mean, you just yeah. do that. Uh, you yeah. Know, yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I, I got to charge my Apple Watch every day pretty much. <laughs> but, you know, at, at the same time, there, there's something I, I have a love-hate relationship with the aesthetic of the Apple Watch. Like, I think oh, yeah. it's square, right? It dri- Or rectangle. It drives me absolutely mad. I think it's the ugliest, most, like, yeah like unnatural shape like I, I feel like a watch should be round there's something that feels right about that there's they're coming out with a round one on the next one they are not they they people keep saying that they're never going to have a round <laughs> apple watch i guarantee you how much you want to bet the, the operating system would have to be different you buy me that money clip that slimy green money clip if if uh the next one is round. all right <laughs> He has an online store, so we don't even. Uh, we, I'll send you the link. <laughs> it's not going to happen because I know they won't release a round one. It's not going to happen. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. All right. Because <laughs> uh, Matthew McConaughey ever been your client? You have a lot of celebrity clients, though. Right? Oh, I don't. I don't have a lot of celebrity clients. You have Lenny Kravitz, I see from here, and uh, Jason Momoa. I, I mean, uh, we're just stoked that anybody wants to buy the stuff, honestly. I mean, it, it started as a hobby in my grandparents' garage. So anyone that wants to buy it, I'm stoked on. So, cool. Lenny Kravitz isn't really a celebrity. He's beyond celebrity. He's just <laughs> yeah, that I Dude, it, it was crazy. Make a really long story short, his assistant messaged us on Instagram. And then I called his assistant back. Which is surprising because I was going to take the day off. I wasn't going to mess with Instagram or anything. And my girlfriend was like, you have to check your Instagram. You you have to make this call. So make a long story short, I, I made the call, you know, and, and they're like, you know, where are you at? Where's your store? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, and I was like, we're, we're in Albuquerque. At that point in time, they were cutting through New Mexico. So they, they were an hour west of our house. They had already come through already. And his assistant goes, hold on a second. And puts Lenny on the phone, and I was like, "Man, I, I just want to let you know, we, I work out of my house. It's a garage, you know. Like it's it's not romantic, it's not amazing. You're more than welcome to come by if you need anything. You know, we'd love to have you, but I, I understand, you know, it's not what you're used to." And he was like, "Hold on a second. And then he put the bus driver on the phone. I gave the bus driver our address, and he goes, "We'll be there in an hour." And we leave, we live at the end of a cul-de-sac and they pulled this monster tour bus up in front of our house that covered my whole house and our neighbor's house. And I was kind of like, oh, shit, like he's going to have a whole band and all of this stuff. And I have all these people in my house and my dogs are going crazy. <laughs> and it's like him, his assistant and his photographer hop out and 
came in, hung out for like an hour and a half or so, shot the shit, was super nice. And I still don't even think I've processed that he came over to the house and bought jewelry and such. Because it's just, it's it, it's one thing to meet people in LA or meet them at their place or at a show or something like that. But when they're like, we'll be at your house in an hour, it's kind of like, wait, what? <laughs> so... And it was like me and my girlfriend were talking. We we're like, "What what music do you play when Lenny Kravitz comes to your house? Because you don't want to get like dogged on, you know." So, <laughs> yeah, I, and I've got to say, I've I've seen Lenny Kravitz live twice. Probably still uh, my favorite concert to this day. Dude, it's crazy because uh, you know you hear all that stuff, and like I told my mom, and she's like, "Oh, I read this in the tabloids, and I read that," and I was like, "This dude was so nice. Like you couldn't even imagine how nice he was." Uh, and make a really long story short, too, uh, uh, we had known some of the same people from my previous career, too. So we kind of had like a little non-seller to customer conversation, too. So it kind of helped like loosen everything up and stuff, too. But it's just so random. And it, you never know where the day is going to take you when you wake up. And uh, that day I was in a, a crap mood because I had received some bit bad news from my business partner and one of our other endeavors and uh you think you're gonna take the day off and and not do shit and then a couple hours later lenny kravitz is at your house so it's awesome it's crazy it, it, i mean like i said for me like he's not even celebrity he transcends celebrity oh like, yeah yeah rock star yeah yeah no and he he couldn't be nicer he couldn't i mean it, it couldn't have been any better than it was you know like he was like, you guys got to come to a show sometime, you know, like, like it, it was, it was perfect, you know? So, and then, then that, you know, I'm a fan of his and then he bought jewelry. It was just like, this, this is insane, you know? And it's always nice when someone that you're a fan of, you appreciate their work. Then they're like, Oh, I appreciate your work. And you're like, Oh, you know, you can like fangirl a little bit. So nice. That's awesome. Right. man. So to the so next question, I, I think with, you know, Lenny Kravitz being, uh, to me, he's like a style icon and like this oh, for sure. kind of way. Uh, but our question seven is who's the style icon that, that you most look up to? Oh man. I think that Johnny cash is definitely one of those up there. You know, it's that, that it's that Western, but not that like, kitsch like 50s western you know like like elvis and bob dylan kind of smashed together kind of jam um like but western then just rock and roll yeah well like western but i don't give a fuck kind of thing you know like uh definitely that lately um but i mean maybe that's just because it's on the top of my head but um I, I was thinking about it and i was like i can't think of anyone now that I care about what they're wearing, you know, mm -hmm. um, half the people, I think that they, they're just wearing it and doing their thing and they look great. And the other half I think are cosplaying. So I can't really think of anybody that I'm like into their whole vibe, not just like one piece here and one piece there kind of thing. So I like that you said that some people are cosplaying like, uh, I, I mean, it's my opinion, you know, I, I, it's your opinion that I agree with a hundred percent. And uh, Jay and I have had conversations about this this concept of peacocking. Oh, yeah. pity 
pity seems like it's it is stressful for some people it, it is crazy i love just going and watching it like a sports game like the cats fight for the spot on the wall like you know doing wardrobe changes and i'm just like holy crap y'all are like this is stressful mm. <laughs> and jay you've been to pity what six times seven times yeah, I, I avoided going it uh, last time, but I'm glad. Uh, I mean, they have moved it this time, but I go there to find clients. I go there to meet other clients. Yeah, for work. You know, that that's so the thing. Me, I think that a fair amount of people are there for work and they get there and they're at their booth working. And I then don't it's understand just, it's just... those people who stand on the wall. Like, what, what are they? Oh, it's crazy. For? I love it. I, I love I just think it's entertaining. It's so funny. So... <laughs> it's definitely one of those things that's a, a unique aspect of of the culture right it's insane because i didn't know it existed like i just kept hearing about the show hearing about the show and we we got the opportunity to go like really last minute so we kind of threw a trip together didn't know anything didn't know what to expect and i had been to trade shows and i was just like oh it's just a big trade show right and it's like no it is it is a whole different animal um but it is, I mean, it's a spectacle. Uh, I don't think most people are there for business, but. I have to thank Pity, though. I, I've, I got a ton of customers from that. Oh, like, I, no, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying anything against it. I mean, we love it. I love Florence. The city's great. The show's great. You know, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I, just, I just the peacocking so, aspect. Yeah, aspect it's just so silly. It's, it's crazy. So. Now, talking about pity and the peacocking and all that, you know, when it comes to, to menswear, to, to dress, we talked about functionality over formality, but, but with that, right, how formal do you think a guy should be on a daily basis? I mean, I think everything is just, mind. it just depends on the situation, you know? Um, I mean, I see some of these cats that are like definitely overdressing for some stuff um which, which is ironic you know it's uh, i see people like especially um like mark cuban was like i never want to wear a tie i i made my money and i'm my own boss because i don't want to wear a tie and then you see these guys that make no money and they choose to be in a in a setup like that you know and it's definitely dressed for the job as opposed the job you want as opposed to the job you got mm. but I mean, if you work at the mall, you don't need to be wearing three-piece suits, you know? Yeah. Um, and that's where I think a lot of these cats are, are cosplaying, you know? It's like, you, you gotta you gotta dress in your universe, you know? So. Absolutely. And, and with that, you know, for you, to tie or not to tie, that is the question. I, I Maybe bolo tie uh like i i mean it, yeah i mean it's i i don't gotta worry about how to tie it so um with a turquoise uh what do you call that a clip? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah 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 is, is um, that piece is called the clip that goes up yeah I mean, it's just the whole, the whole piece is a bolo tie you know the, the lace and the slide um but I, i'd say probably no tie i mean anytime like I, I try and throw one on uh you know with like workwear and stuff like that it just doesn't work for me um it, it doesn't work for like my sales and my clients coming in you know uh and I, I think a big a big point you know with any brand is authenticity so 
I don't want to be in a three piece suit while people are like seeing photos of me riding motorcycles and being like, what? I don't, you know, what, which, which is real, you know? Yeah, exactly. So now let's move on to the last question uh, for these 10 is which movie character has their style game on lock in your opinion? Oh, which character? Yeah. Oh man. I can't think of any that really jump out uh, right like off the top of my head. I mean, I think also uh, since uh, we've just been processing so much content, maybe there's not any good content with any good characters off the top of my head also right now. Tiger King. Yeah. 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 Exotic. Not to kick it at heart or anything. Um, I mean, that's the thing. We've just been sitting around watching crap reality shows. So it's like, I can't think of the last time I watched anything that had any good storyline. You know, it's like, uh, even even with me, you know, it's like working from home, you know, uh, we either watch, you know, remodeling shows or if we can stream some trash TV to, to kill 12 hours a day, you know, during all this craziness. So, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, it, it, it has become a, a content consumption uh, game at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Hmm. Nice, man. So, yeah, that's our 10. That's what we run through in the middle of the uh, the interview. And, uh, again, it gives us a, a good baseline to sort of judge everyone we talk to across the board. Now, looking forward for Red Rabbit, though, like wh- what do you see? I know you said it's still a young brand. You're still finding your footing. You're rounding it out with, like, different pieces that are not jewelry. Like we saw the copper soap dish. So what do you see going forward for Red Rabbit trading? I mean, in the super far off future, like I, I'd like to have a brick and mortar, you know, I, I love the idea of brick and mortar. I know people love pounding their chest saying it's dead, but you know, for a small brand to have a physical representation of what they do and what they're about, I think there's something really special about that. Um, you know, in that, like some brands even run like you can only buy this piece here. Like you can get whatever online, but you can buy this piece here. Um, so I think there's something really special about that. So I think that that's what I'd like to do uh, down the road, have like some workshop slash show space, you know, representation of the brand kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I mean, honestly, like it, it sounds cliche. I'm just stoked that people are buying pieces that I make, you know? Uh, so I'm just stoked that I can make stuff and people are like, I dig that and it's my size. Can I buy it? And I'm like, uh, awesome. You want it? Cool. Um, so I just kind of want to keep making stuff and have people be stoked on it. And that's kind of it. I mean, I'm not like, oh, I want to have a location here and, you know, like modify production and we want to come out with this line. We're kind of just following what the customers want and you know we try some stuff and it falls flat on its face and you're like oh well nobody liked that Mm -hmm. but then sometimes we have a design that we put out two years ago and it's just catching steam now you know so i think the you know the good thing about being small is that you can keep your pulse on what your customers want a lot more so true i mean and i i kind of i vibe with that 
you know, with what I do is being small and, and like I said, touching everything, just like you do. Every piece is in my hands. Mm-hmm. You know, there, there's something nice about that. And again, it gives you the, you get feedback directly from your customers. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, honestly, in the past, I've had, I've had businesses where we've had, you know, up to 30 some employees and it's just a lot of stuff slips through the cracks and it's just not worth all the headache. You know, uh, you know, you start to grow a business like that and you get to the point to where you're just managing people and i'd rather manage jewelry and design and everything else and not have to deal with boneheads you know so yeah i came from the tech world i was in tech startups like early in the 90s and then again in the past decade and you know it's you know having companies when when they start to scale and get big you you get into more of a, a mind frame especially as the founder of okay how do i grow this how do i scale this how do i manage the growth mm-hmm. where you know and that's great and a lot of people love that and, and i love that that world of entrepreneurship and that mindset for sure actually, that whole sure. product product design mindset but i really love though like i said working one-on-one with the customers and getting that feedback and putting that into my product design and 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 jiving that way and i think one of the things i like about the tutorial world and especially a lot of the people that Jay introduces me to is that, you know, they're all of that same mindset that they want to have control over the product design and have a relationship with the customer. And, you know, it creates this much more intimate business model. Definitely. And I think also it's one of those things, if you could ever find the person that speaks the same language that you do, as far as your vision and stuff, you'd have no problem giving them the reins. But I mean, that stuff is few and far between. Um, my other business, uh, one of the kids that I brought in from the ground up now is a partner in it and I let him do whatever he wants because 99.99% of the time he'll call me and say, I know what you're going to say about this, but I want to run it by you. And then he'll tell me the issue and how he handled it. And I said, yeah, I would have done the exact same thing. Um, you know, and if I ever get to that point where if I find a team like that, you know, amazing, if not. It's no big deal. So it's, you know, it's still got to be one of those things that's fun and, and you're in it for the right reasons. You know, I can't imagine H&M is going to come and try and buy me out, you know, or anything like that. So I'm not too worried about scaling it. <laughs> nice. So and with that, I mean, let, let's wrap it up. And uh, before we go, though, can you tell all the listeners, all the people watching the, the two people watching on YouTube and the, and the guy <laughs> listening on the podcast, you know, where can they find out more info about Red Rabbit Trading? Where can they, they find your product? Uh, RedRabbitTradingCo.com and Instagram. You know, Instagram's the way of the world anymore. Nice. So We'll have links to all that in the show notes, in the description. Mike, thank you very much for taking the time to come and talk to us. Oh, no problem. Thanks for the opportunity. And guys, until next time, stay dapper, stay villainous.